This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Less Accounting. Go to lessaccounting.com and on the homepage, you will see a video. Watch that. You will be amazed at how easy they make doing bookkeeping with Less Accounting. I use it for all my businesses. I absolutely love it. And if you use the coupon code Founders Talk 4, you will save 50% off your first month billing. Lessaccounting.com. This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. And if you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk as well as me, Adam Stack. Today's guest is John Crawford, the founder of Store Envy. Enjoy the show. I'm joined by John Crawford, my good friend I met uh, at LessConf uh, a number of years ago. So, John, you run Store Envy. That's kind of what you mainly do, right? Well, that's everything I do pretty much besides uh, uh, bes- besides parenting a five-month-old and trying to be a, uh, a really amazing husband. I-, I had no idea you guys had a kid. Yeah. That shows how closely we are. I know. You know we're, we're just so tight. Man, you and me. Maybe we're just busy. That's what it is. Cause we're spending I just got so some... much time with our kids. Yeah, yeah. I got a daughter. She doesn't live with me, but that's a bummer. So she comes and spends the entire summer with me every year, though. Oh, nice. So for the uninitiated, John, I know you do Store Envy. I'm, I'm familiar with it. But for those who do not know who you are and what Store Envy is, give us kind of a brief overview about Store Envy. Store Envy is the easiest way to open an online store. And so we focus on, on making store, the, a store platform that's really fun, really simple, really affordable. So it's, it's, uh, it's free to set up a store. You can design the store to look however you want. Um, but sort of what differentiates us from other people doing that similar thing is that our focus is, like I said, on, on fun and social. So um, you can get a store in five minutes. It's like the back end looks like the front end of a site. It's really easy to understand, and you don't need anyone else to help you set it up. Then we have a big marketplace where, you can take, uh, where we take all this stuff from all the stores and put it in one big shopping uh, portal so that you can make extra sales and people can find your stuff instead of you having to be in charge of all your own marketing. Uh, we have a Facebook app that lets you put your store on your Facebook page, and we have a whole bunch more awesome stuff we're working on right now. I think the product itself is amazing. I remember when I met met you back at uh, in 2009 at LessConf. Whenever I think it was actually Stephen himself that introduced us. We were in that van going to get some stuff for the last minute parts of okay. LessConf. Right. Uh, that was a that was a fun adventure, by the way. Yeah, but I remember you telling me about what you guys were doing. It was kind of like um, this social platform for shopping, and I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" And it's free. How how in the world do they do that? So I, I got some questions for you later on about uh, making money and and all that stuff. But you you started the company in two thousand and eight. Can we go back in time? Maybe not even so much to that point, but you know, what are your roots? What gave you the courage to to build store envy so i've i've never really had a real job uh right out right out of college i i taught myself to program uh and web design and stuff like that and started my own web shop built a whole bunch of sites for people 
through that process, built a whole bunch of online stores for clients, some of them great, some of them not so great, um, but learned a lot about uh, like store software and uh, became like really surprised with how crappy all the other store platform uh, options were. They're either like oversimplified or in most cases like kind of built like a uh, like some sort of a person who likes looking at spreadsheets would uh, would be excited to use it. Um, and so, since I'd never really ever worked for my for anybody but myself, um, I just kind of saved up enough money in the bank uh, doing client work enough to where I was able to kind of take take a leap and and uh, and and work for for free essentially for three or four or five six months and build this thing. So uh, it wasn't a huge risk because we had a, I mean, it was a huge risk, but it didn't feel like a huge risk to me uh, because we did have kind of a plan in place with how we were going to make money, which was through this uh, t-shirt printing service, which um, we actually haven't had for like two years. But um, it, it originally did some, some good things because we were printing t-shirts for the merchants that were using our platform. And uh uh, it ended up being like just too much to juggle more than one business under the same name, so we spun it off to be its own thing. But um, we had a plan at least for for breaking even and being able to support ourselves initially. Then it worked. The spinoff you're talking about is that what happened when you were going? I mean, this is kind of jumping ahead in your story, but is that when it became Threadbird? Is that what you mean? Yep. Okay. Yep. So for those who are listening, Threadbird is its own thing now, but uh, that's the fun part, I think, uh, of the story, maybe even uh, to express the the speed at which things began to happen for you. Like, I had met you in 2009, uh, met up with you again at South By in 2010, and uh, I think that was when, when I met up with you and Jeanette. And at that time, you were actually sponsoring a podcast that I ran before called The Web 2.0 Show, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Uh, which has a whole different story, and I'll let you tell that maybe later on too, because uh, you'd mentioned that you gave a talk at the most you recent West Coast. There's a lot about of you. <laughs> now there's a lot of circles. I think it's wild how there's so many circles that cross, and you know that's a crux of what you were talking about in that talk was that it's not quite serendipity, but it's just like how life plays itself out, and you just never know how things are going to work out for yourself. Totally. You know, the people you meet, the people you hang out with, the people you get introduced to, the people you introduce to others, it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. Totally. So let's um I guess let's fast forward then a little bit. So you founded the company in two thousand eight. Um you know, what were the what were the early starts, I guess, of, of building Store Envy? Was it a were you was it even popular then, lean startup methodology? I mean, were you were you doing things like that? Or did you have any guidance? How did you get started? Um, if I said that we had any structure or guidance, I would be lying. Okay. <laughs> um, we just basically said, let's make a website where people can sell stuff. Uh, it was very humble beginnings. We didn't have a plan of how it was going to be, you know, scaled up 10,000 X or anything like that. Um, our, our real mission at first was just make something that we could live off of. And, um, you know, at the same time, like solve a ton of problems for people. And, um, you know, I guess if I look back, that was more the, the focus was, you know, this can be so much more simple and easier to understand than 
anyone makes it for people. And let's, and we just focused on simplifying it. I, I don't think we even thought a lot about the whole like revenue piece. And we had one member of our team that was kind of in charge of generating enough revenue for us to break even, um, and, you know, eat ramen noodles. But, um, we were really just focused on, on solving a problem for people. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was the initial process. And, and I think I kind of, as the leader of the team asked us to do like way too much at first before we were able to really even launch, um, we built like an insane amount of product before launching. We did not do lean startups. It was more like the Apple process. It was more like, like I made my version of the iPhone before we ever launched. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was pretty much the opposite of lean startup. In retrospect, was, uh, was that good or bad for store Um, I don't think, I don't think we can say that for sure, but I can say that a lot of, from all the founders that I've met and the CEOs that I met, everybody's just very different. Like there's a lot of people who are focused on, they just want to sort of like tell the engineering team, uh, what things you know, what are the goals and how should it work and stuff like that and step away. And then they focus on like getting a bunch of attention and, and talking to the press and get people excited about what they're doing. And, you know, as a technical founder, I found like making, literally making something that makes people happy and makes their life easier. It, it just in, incredibly rewarding. Um, just very fun to do that. Um, now we're sort of at a new stage in, of the business to where I'm actually now positioning myself in, in to do a lot less of that, of the actual making of the web app. But I've, I've essentially made myself like 95% of store envy myself. And that's like really awesome. I just be able to look at that and be like, I made that. Going forward, I, I think it's going to be the inverse where I'm going to have made like five percent. But um, you know, it's 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 just really fun to like make something that makes people happier and make and like gives um, and like provides value for them and makes their life easier. And then you know, watch them actually use it. So why this idea though? Why you like? Were you just sitting there one day and you were thinking, you know, I think this could totally be done differently, and I'm the guy to do it, or is it just, was it just let's start this and we can do something and it'll sustain us at least, give us some livelihood, and that's it? Was it that was that the the basics of it? It was really that I had a, I had decent expertise in the space because I had built a bunch of store platforms. For other people, right? Because you're primarily—I mean, back in the day, you were just an engineer, and I don't see that as a bad way, but a Rails developer, basically. Well, it was running a web shop, so that there was a designer and I, and we would build projects together, and people would hire us, and we'd build those for them. Um, but we also kind of worked like consultants, so there would be a ton of sort of hearing their needs and and like proposing how it would work in order to meet their needs. So a lot of product stuff as well. Um, so I was essentially doing what I'm doing now just for other people, not my own thing. 
Um, and, and but you know, I built a whole bunch of stores. To answer your question, I built a bunch of stores for people, and so it was something that I had thought about a lot, and I had never seen a store platform that was built for consumers, meaning where the merchant is treated like a consumer and not like a business person or hmm. uh, or a, a person that like um, knew how to use soft e-commerce software already. So, you know, I'd never seen it done in such a way to where the back end felt like the front end. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And I do notice that about Storevy's UI. It's it's very much like you don't leave and go to some sort of what they call an admin panel or something like that. You feel like you're, you know, right in there working with it and adding things as, you, as you're working in your store. Yep. Yeah, and that's a big goal that the back end feel like a front end of a site. So we just did, we didn't like the idea of people having to switch gears from like using the internet the way they do every day to talk to their friends and 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 uh, stay in touch and then have to switch gears in their mind over to their e-commerce software mind, right? Like put on their e-commerce software brain. It should just work like Tumblr or Twitter or whatever else. So pre store envy doing some crazy things like going to Austin and then going to uh uh San Francisco, you know, before that you had some original founders, you were a distributed team, you were spread across a number of states, I guess Kansas City where you're originally from, San Diego which was still kind of had some California ties to it, but then also Orlando. That was also pre Threadbird which we mentioned earlier. What was um, you know, when you had the original founders, you know, how did that begin and at what point did you guys decide to, what was the whole Austin, I guess, move to as part of that answer? So, wait, ask me that again? Well, you had your original founders and you guys were distributed across a number of states. Mm-hmm. You were operating kind of in tandem. You had this t-shirt company, but then you also had Store Envy. And uh, from what I understand, the t-shirt side of the business was the revenue producing side. And mm-hmm. as we mentioned before, store envy was free to use. So I'm, I'm just wondering if we can start connecting some dots to, to what the story is behind there. Yeah. So, you know, we had a t-shirt printing company. We never like the whole mission of store envy was the world deserves a free store platform that I've kind of gone in about this whole thing Basically, you know, if you want to get all touchy-feely about it, like my real driver is that I, I am actively trying to like bring e-commerce to the people and sort of liberate it from complexity and, and uh, you know, uh, like expensive pricing and, and just all the things that make it inaccessible for your average person that's sort of just starting out or the average person that's running a killer business but doesn't want to become an a e-commerce wizard in order to do it online. Um, and, and so like that was the driving force. And what we wanted to do is make it free. And, and by making it free, we obviously have to get creative about how we make money. So, um, one of the ways was we could sell like production to people. So if they want to sell something on our site, they need it created first and we can help connect them to the people who will create it for them. And so t-shirt printing was the first outing at that. And it ended up going really, really well. And so well that people who weren't using our platform for their store were actually printing through us. At one point, 
uh, Threadless actually came along and, and just wanted to have a conversation about whether or not it made sense for us to print some of their shirts uh, and become one of their printers. And, um, and so, you know, it, it, it was clear that that, was, that business was sort of scaling on its own and it wasn't actually supporting the growth of the store platform in the way that we wanted it to because it was sort of needing its own management and, you know, it was actually taking away from the brand name of Store Envy. So people were saying, oh, I love Store Envy. They have great printing. And we would say, do you realize that we have a, we have a store software as well? And they would be like, oh, cool. Uh, so they didn't realize. Right. So what the it was cool, a conflict of, the, of interest. Yeah, they didn't realize what the soul of the business was. It was it was taken away from that. I mean, it's another thing where, like, the we were doing for T-shirt printing the same thing we were doing for stores. Uh, T-shirt printing is actually, like, incredibly opaque and hard to understand. And none of the businesses who do it look very cool, even if they try. And so we had, like, the coolest T-shirt printing website on the Internet. And people were just drawn to it because it looked like we kind of knew what was up. So let's let's fast forward a little bit to – I guess it's not really fast forwarding because it still is kind of back in the day. But it's going to take us to kind of where you're at now, which is in San Francisco, which is living the startup dream, uh, doing all the things you had wanted to do living a long it. time ago. but Doing it. Oh, yeah. You just weren't able to because, like I said, in 2010 we met up in South By – you had just said you're moving to Austin, and then I'm talking to Alan a few weeks later, and then he's like, no, you're moving to San Francisco. What was going on at that time of your life? Uh, at that time of my life, we did decide that we were going to move to Austin, Texas, because we wanted to all be in the same room. More often, we wanted to you know, breathe the same air, because a lot more uh, just kind of hustle and creativity comes out of that. Um, and... And uh, we'd just been distributed for far too long. And, but, you know, through that process, we were also in the process of, of, uh, of talk, starting to talk to investors because we realized we'd sort of hit a, uh, we'd sort of hit a bottleneck in, in, our, in our growth where we needed to bring on people to help us. But in order for us to bring on people, we needed to, um, we didn't have the cash to do it. So it was sort of like, yes, we're all, we're all breaking even. And the business is awesome at this size, but we don't have enough to uh, bring on great people, but we really need great people in order to take it to the next level. So we decided, hey, we need to talk to investors, and I started taking those meetings. And so we lived, for the time we lived in Austin, I was only there for about half the time because I was also in places like San Francisco talking to investors. And when we came out here, I ended up uh, connecting with uh, – a guy who had gone through Y Combinator and introduced us to them, even though I really wasn't thinking about doing it. And uh, this is, and, and through that process, we got accepted and they told us to move out here in like eight days or something like that. And we decided to, within those eight days, we decided that the t-shirt printing needed to be spun off to be its own thing. And the other guys were going to stay home. And so I uh, I moved out of here solo. Paul Graham wasn't too excited to see just me show up on the first day. Sent us, uh, told us that they weren't going to fund us after all, and, and so uh, we kind of like sulked for about a month in our little hotel room in South San Francisco by the airport that we had booked, um, and then said, "Screw it, let's move to the city and kind of put our heads down and grow this thing." and 
Um, this was my wife, Jeanette, and I, and our dog, Stella. And we moved to the mission and worked our tails off for a month, met a whole bunch of people, became BFS with a bunch of great people, and got a bunch of great uh, traction and got a bunch of great introductions to investors and then did our financing uh, at the very, very beginning of uh, 2011. Was it 2011? Yeah. So, so that's round two? That's only that's first round. That's the round, round. That's the only financing we've done because we we called off the initial invest investor conversations because we had gotten in, into white combinator. Right. And this is the leading of the round was something you had done. You had studied it for a while, um, and you led that entire round to closing around four weeks. Is that unheard of? I mean, I've never led a round myself. I mean, there's probably listeners listening to this. I've led rounds, but what? Uh, what was it like, I guess, to, to start chumming it up with the people you had mentioned? I guess you didn't mention any real names there, but a couple possibly. And then also lead this round and pull in, what was it, $1.5 million to yeah. for your first round? Yep. It was fun. I, it was, it's, a, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, when you have a product that excites people and you know tra- meaningful traction that shows that you've got a great community of people using your product um, – it, it becomes a bit of a, a, a bit of a game to um, sort of learn how invest, investors think and optimize the process and, and and try to hunt down the right people. You know, when you, when you have something good that that people are actually interested in hearing about, um, it, 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 chatting with investors is like a job interview where you're actually trying to make sure that you're taking on the right investors. Right. Um, and so, you know, that was fun getting to know a bunch of very smart, accomplished people. Uh, and trying to find the ones that sort of shared the the vision, and we're going to let us grow the business in the kind of wacky zany way that we want to. Um, there was there was absolutely if you're if you're asking me as a as a kid from Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, <laughs> whether or not you know it was like kind of terrifying. Absolutely, I mean it's a very daunting process to like kind of deal with sort of the biggest names in, in venture capital. But there's a certain element of sort of it's just kind of so above your head when you're doing this for the first time that you like sort of the gravity gets lost on you and you just sort of like have fun because it's sort of like like, you know, it's sort of it's just like meeting celebrities to a certain degree. Sometimes if you've been out here for six months and you're like working your ass off to build a, a product that excites your customers and excites investors, you're, you're spending a lot of time learning about who these investors are. And then when you go actually meet them, it's, it's just weird. Um, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to challenge yourself to still kind of play it cool and, uh, and be impressive and, and, you know, kind of talk and, you know, act like their peer and all that stuff. Um, it, it was just a fun challenge to see, to kind of rise to the occasion through that. Yeah, when I was reading one of your blog posts on the subject, you you'd said that walking to the uh, into the YC office it felt amazing, but it was a little like walking into college for startups, right? Yeah, and you just feel the, I guess the the momentum probably is what it was. Yeah. Uh, just the momentum forward forward progress, just kind of oozing out of yep. the cracks of the building, the people around you. Totally. Um, it, let's let's go to that moment there with this. I think you kind of you called it the meltdown in, in this uh, this article you wrote, and 
you know, you kind of gleaned right over it. I'm not sure if this is a, a sour spot or not, but it seems like it's been the the fuel for your fire, I guess, since that moment was it was a letdown to to kind of go to San Francisco and go back to the offices of, of Y Combinator, sit in front of Paul Graham and have that conversation about, hey, I changed my team, but uh, you know, it, I'm still a great founder. I'm doing all these great things, and you're selling yourself. But at the end of the day, they were like, it's not the right time. Yeah. So I guess to to respond to something you said there, the 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 change of plans with Y Combinator is absolutely not fuel for my fire. Um, it's absolutely a blip on the radar for what we look when we look at the history of the, the business. Yeah, that whole chain of react that whole chain reaction got us in San Francisco, but it is something that we think about uh, or I think about about like uh, every like three months. If I get reminded that that even happened, like what fuels us is building a great product, talking to our customers, um, knowing how big the opportunity is of the thing that we're working on and how no one has captured it effectively. And, you know, also having these investors that are counting on us to run and build a great business um, and, and getting their accountability and talking with them and wanting to show up with like really in- impressive numbers and stats and ideas and concepts. Uh, that's the stuff that fuels us. Oh, why Combinator thing was just like a crappy thing that happened one time. Um, I, I didn't mean like your long term forever. Yeah, that's cool. I meant more like more like you know this was devastating. You guys, yep. you even mentioned you sulked for for like a month. Yep. But you know it. You know the moment as soon as you picked your head back up, you were on the hustle again. It didn't keep you down. In fact, it you know it puts you in the right kind of place. And I think I even. Saw you say that uh, it even helped you potentially even be the right kind of fit for some investors because you had already been through the the quote unquote trough of sorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like a, um, this past podcast with the guys from Pixel Workers. We we uh, talked about that trough of sorrow a little bit. No, actually, I'm sorry, it was sorry, it was Kyle Bragger. We talked about the trough of sorrow oh, with okay. with um, with Forrest, and that's kind of funny that we mentioned Forrest because before we got on here, we talked about Forrest a brief moment, but we won't go there. Um, well, they just sold the color lovers, which is awesome news. And you made that connection. Well, I told them they should talk. You told them they should talk. But that's, that's like the friends of friends kind of yeah, thing like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Well, they are you know. each other, but yeah. Um, so, so I guess then if I, if I had it wrong, then what is the fuel for your fire? Then we're, you know, you just closed this round not long ago, um, you're moving forward with your business. Threadbird has separated. That was ages ago. So now it's completely store envy. I guess the the one thing for me though, I still I still get hung up on, and I just can't understand it. And hopefully, maybe the listeners are with me on this. But you say you want to have a fo- a free commerce platform for users, mm-hmm. but what I can't figure out is how you make money. Sure. And why is it free? How do you make money? And what's the grand plan? So when people come to you as an investor, you know, what are they investing in? And what is the, I guess, the the revenue generation model for Store Envy? Right. Well, I get asked this one a lot, um, not by investors because they totally get it, but um, I get asked this one a lot by, you know, average Joes and people who might want to sign up for the service. And it, it interests me that no one ever asked that question of like, Pinterest or Tumblr or like how many of us sign up for Twitter accounts without ever wondering like, is there something shady here? How do these guys make money? 
Like there's, you know, why do we approach commerce software different with so many different uh, um, assumptions than we do any other social software? And it's, it's like, like strangely telling to me that we have this like weird set of rules around commerce software. Um, but to specifically answer your question, our mission in life is to provide the best free, uh, the best store platform for free. And so it's not that, oh, this is the best free store platform. It's the best store platform and it's free. And that just makes it even, even more better. So uh, the, reason, the reason it's free is because we want to bring it down to the people's level. And you just, you don't pay to get started for like consumer web apps. And um, the, the way we make money is through upgrades. We've rolled out two upgrades so far. If you want to use your own domain name, that costs money. If you want to use discount codes, that costs money. We have a slew of other upgrades in the pipeline, many of which we're working on now. Um, so that's not going to be a problem for us. Um, I don't believe in like percentage of sales because I don't want, I don't want to penalize you for being better. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I know people that pay $200 a month in Etsy fees. Well, why don't they just like, you know, set up their own store for that price? You know, I mean like that's crazy. That is crazy. And I'm glad you said it that way. Cause I didn't get it until that one was just there when you said it. Now I get it. Yeah. 200 bucks a month for Etsy fees. And they're the ones that are awesome. Now, I've seen tweets come across the board recently because I follow both you and StoryMV on Twitter, and I see you retweeting people and having – you guys are really social. You know, you have a small team of six, so you guys are really social about the way you're going the business, the way you're pushing growth, the way you're interacting with the community. But I see people all the time saying, you know, I jump board from Etsy to StoryMV and I'm never going back because they're just so excited about the platform they're on. Yes, sir. We love those people. <laughs> 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 let's let's talk about uh let's talk about that. Let's talk about growth. What have you been doing since we just talked about Twitter and Facebook? Um what have you been doing I guess to push growth and actually interact with the community? What kind of things have you been doing? What what fun stuff? We're just real people. So we like to say this is the, I like to say that we're the only store platform that thinks about you and your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? That means that we're the only people that think about that our users are actually on the other end of a computer someplace, sitting on their couch, possibly in their underwear, trying to sell their stuff on the internet. Like you're a real person that's trying to open an online store. And we, I just don't believe that other people making commerce software think about people like that. So, you know, we try to word everything like it's a real human talking. We try to um, be really available for our social media and, and our support and get back to everybody right away with like really human, fun, uh, upbeat responses and help people just feel more awesome about what they're doing and, and feel more empowered uh, uh, to be like killer online merchants. Um, and, and that just really works. Like people, people love us and I'm not afraid to say it. They love us because we love them first, uh, through the way we built our product and, and through the way we, uh, communicate with them. And, and we just, you know, focus on happiness and fun and, and enjoying what you do. So, um, 
we make people we make people love doing what they love to do. When you when you get asked questions about story envy, how often does uh, Etsy come up? It only comes up. It only comes up when people haven't ever heard of us, and I tell them what we do. I'm like, well, it's an online store platform where like people can set up stores, and they say, oh, like Etsy, and I'm like, well, no, not really, because they don't give you a store at all. <laughs> uh, but really, only when I'm like telling a stranger about what my job is. And when you look at the the growth, I guess, or the market share of Etsy, what do you think the differences are between what you're doing and what they're doing to get more known? And what I'm doing to get known and what they're doing to get known? Like, what is our differences in our marketing? Right. No, I guess not so much marketing, but I guess um, why more people might know about Etsy as what they are Mm -hmm. versus Store Envy and what you are and how sometimes, like you had just said there, where people might say, oh, like Etsy? Yep. Why, why are they the... Well, Etsy's the, at critical mass. I mean, Etsy's been around for like six years or something like that. Um, I, I measure, as much as I was like a guy in my uh, house in Kansas City working on it, like we weren't operating on a, like a large... I mean, we weren't shooting for the moon until about a year and a half ago. So like we weren't trying to build like it internet startup we were just trying to build a website that like three guys could live off of until about a year and a half ago and a year and a half ago we started like kicking ass and taking names and trying to grow this awesome thing etsy has been around since like 2005 um and they've been they've had that posture for a long time and they were like the only person in that space like there wasn't other great handmade places I don't really actually. I don't understand why people make the connection as much as they do because Etsy is like just handmade, and Store Envy's like you could sell. It's indie stores, CDs. yeah. Yeah, um, you can sell anything. Yeah, you can sell anything, but it, it is sort of like the first like shining example of people-powered commerce, and I love Etsy. It's beautiful. Uh, it's just not like the end-all, be-all of commerce for sure. So let's um. If we can, let's talk about some lessons learned. You've been down a long path. You've led your own round of funding. You've lost co-founders. You've gained co-founders. You've gained plenty of new friends out in San Francisco. Like you had said, your journey technically began a year and a half ago, even though you founded the company in 2008. A lot has happened since then. You obviously have got this track record of things that you just must have like written down. Yep, that's a lesson learned, or that's a lesson learned. Give us some examples of some of the greatest lessons you've learned over the past years building store and getting to where you're at now um man i i don't know where to begin um uh, in no particular order um everything moves faster and slower than you think so um everything takes way longer than you think but it kind of doesn't matter because it takes everyone a really long time so i mean when we launched in 2009 the very 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 end of 2009 I was sure that we needed to move really fast because everyone was just going to copy us and we were going to get screwed. Well, like, no one's copied us. Uh, We're still the only store platform that has a marketplace. Crazy. I don't understand why because it makes perfect sense to me, but we're still the only people that do that. Um, 
Uh, so that's one thing is sort of like your composition moves really slow <laughs> and you know, so you don't necessarily need to be worried about that. You're only really competing against yourself. Um, another thing is that hiring in the, the Bay Area is like ridiculous. If you're thinking about doing a startup in the Bay Area, don't move out here unless you've got an entire team because you, you will not be able to hire them. Yeah. That is true. And, and that's, that's a funny topic too because um, – or at least a funny mention because ever since I've known you, I think maybe actually not so much since I've known you, but since South By. Ever since South By in 2010 when I met up with you there and it's like two years ago. But since then, every time I see you cross your path, say hello to you, whatever – it's like, you know, you don't tell me you're hiring, but I know that you're hiring because <laughs> it's just in your blood. You're like, hey, do you know any any good people in, in these areas here? You know, mm-hmm. you got any friends that are looking for jobs that are really awesome Rails programmers? Or Real quick question, do you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone Let's, listening, if you rape. <laughs> you say it, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're just looking for killer uh Mobile designers, uh, mobile developers, um, Ruby on Rails hackers. We actually have a really sick development team, uh, and we spend too much of our time building awesome stuff and not enough time recruiting because I just I hate recruiting. So it's become this massive um, pain in the ass, really, to recruit out here because you really think you're going to raise money and people are just going to come like flocking and it's completely unrealistic to think that. Um, so I've spent the last year just trying to find great people. Um, and now we have a pretty sick team that I am like over the moon excited about. And, um, so we're going to do some really awesome things, but it's, it took a year to get the, to get the people in, in the room in order to do awesome things. So hiring sucks. So what do you do in the meantime then when it's the the lull between, you know, hiring and, and having them hired? What do you do between like do you do you plan do you do sprinting? Do you you know how do you plan your development cycles? There is, I mean, is I mean like there's that? no development cycles. Like uh, there's been months where I didn't ship any code. Like m- months straight, like 2 months straight no code shipped. Because I was building or I was uh I was recruiting, trying to find people, trying to fix, or, or, or worse, I'd bring on people for a month and they weren't a good fit and then we didn't end up using their work. Um, it just, it's just the reality. So when you say not a good fit, is it them, the code? What do you look for, I guess, for the kind of person that, that, uh, that makes sense for you? I mean, is it somebody who wants to relocate or do they have to be local? Yeah, we like people to be local, not because we think that San Francisco is, like, the only place to be, but we just love spending time with each other and, like, getting creative ideas from one another and and and, um, and brainstorming. And, and it's just so much more collaboration happens when you're all in the same room. And so, um, you know, our community manager comes out here one week a month. So he's here one week a month and he lives in Chicago. And so, I mean, that's, that's, that's good enough for now at least. And, um, but we do like people here as far as like not a good fit. To be honest, I, I tried to hire rock stars. That's one reason it took me so long as I was looking for people that sort of 
were well-known or had worked on some high-profile project, and they were like the cool kids. And, you know, we got them in a room, and they, they just weren't, like, they didn't collaborate well. Um, sort of, they, they, they didn't, they weren't in it to win it. And, uh, and so we had to make changes, unfortunately. They're super smart, and they probably just should found their own thing. They just weren't, um, they weren't good as, like, third, fourth teammates. Right. At, at one point, you'd said uh, if you knew, you knew that if you stood any chance of making Store Envy what you wanted to really make it, you had to stay in, in the Bay Area. Why, why the Bay Area? What, what's so great about the Bay Area to make it, make it or break it for you? Well, I don't know if the Bay Area is the only place on earth, but, you know, in Kansas City, there was no one else to recruit. Um, yeah, there's some smart Ruby guys there, but they, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same thing. I mean, it wasn't people that were willing to take a big risk and like quit their jobs, at least not that I knew. Uh, you know, we hadn't raised money yet when I wrote that. Um, so it was like working for peanuts. Um, and cause I was literally paying out of my own pocket at that point. And, uh, you know, there's just so much more momentum here and so much more of a network where you can like, Oh, you know, I should introduce you to this guy and he introduces you to this guy and he introduces you to this guy and you end up finding all these connections and people that can help out and people you can learn from and, and mentors and friends and all kinds of stuff that you just can't get in a city that doesn't have the same startup density. You say be social, be friends with people. Is that kind of what you mean by that? Like going out to yeah. different events, socializing, yeah, lunch, being a part of the community. Being, you know, happy hours. You know, people ask me about meetups. Meetups aren't that great out here, actually. Um, it's all it's all recruiters because everyone just is trying to find people. to I recruit. bet, yeah. And so it's all you go to the Ruby on Rails meetup. It's just recruiters. It's crazy. <laughs> um, like just recruiters. It, it's insane, but. Um, That's actually comical. I find that comical. No, I mean, like, I went to one, and we listened to a whole guy, like, throw down about some, like, Rails pattern. And then at the end, someone said, hey, is there any announcements anyone would like to make? And some guy gets up and says, well, I'm so-and-so from this company, and we're trying to hire Ruby developers. Uh, If if anyone wants to chat, uh, come up and talk to me. And then the guy organizing the meetup goes, who else is here to recruit? And everyone in the room except two guys raises their hand. Oh my! So it's like we were all there. Why is it like that? I mean, you almost want to have like an underground meetup scene because there's where you know no recruiters are allowed. That'd be a good idea, but how would you get the word out? Um, there'd be <laughs> that's true. <laughs> be like IRC. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, recruiters can't go in IRC. <laughs> it'd be uh, yeah. I mean, the reason is, is I read last week that there's like four job openings for every engineer in Silicon Valley. Wow, it's just so it's a it's an engineer's marketplace, really. I mean, you can get paid probably as much as you want to get paid. You can work on whatever you want to work on. Yeah, wow. you can have as much or as little impact as you want. I mean, you know, the easy part's getting a job. The hard part is finding a job that is like building something cool that impacts real people that you don't feel like that you feel like you had a meaningful impact on. So when you um. 
I want to get to some advice from you if, if you don't mind, because I think that you're super smart, and I want to get some get some advice for listeners. So, when you give advice to entrepreneurs, people starting companies, what are some of the core pieces of advice you always give? Core advice: Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. That's a, that's an easy <laughs> one there. Um, I mean, it kind of, it totally depends on the stage, like. You know, if people are just like saying, hey, me and my friend are starting on something. I mean, the first thing I'll tell people is like get a freaking contract in place that has a vesting schedule. I mean, that's like the biggest mistake I made is that when we started Store Envy, we didn't have a vesting schedule in place for the owners. And what a vesting schedule is for anyone who doesn't know, every startup in Silicon Valley has this. It means that you may own a certain percentage of the company, but you earn it over time. So the way like an LLC works is you set it up and you say like he owns 10%, he owns 40%, he owns 50%. And then that's the truth forever. But with the way a corporation works is you get shares over time. All right, you get shares, and, and if it's put together with a vesting schedule, you earn those shares like every year or like every month or something. And typically, there's a cliff, so you don't get any shares until you've been there for a year. So that's the way everything should work if you're starting up a small side project or a big project. You don't want there to be some guy that's on your team that's a great designer that three months from now you end up hating, and he owns 20% of your project. So you need to get the like a vesting schedule put in place up front. Um, it's basic startup common sense that not a lot of people know about. Um, let's see what else. There's uh, 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 advisors and mentors. Everybody should have everybody should have mentors. Everybody should have advisors. Um, even if you have business partners, you should have a mentor or advisor. Somebody who's higher up the food chain. Somebody who's been uh, where you've been, done what you've done, or can somehow augment you, uh, some area of expertise or experience that you don't have um, and get together with them like on a schedule like once a month or something like that. Uh, don't feel weird about asking for that because everybody wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to feel like their knowledge and expertise makes them an asset to someone else. Um, so, you know, go out of your way to find people that can help you be better. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a couple of good things. Everything else would be like specific to what I'm dealing with right now. What are you dealing with right now? I'm trying to figure out how to get, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm, I've actively taking steps to, to like putting myself out of a job. I've been like a project manager instead of a CEO for the past year. And now that we have like a great team, like they can do a lot of this themselves. And so now I'm, I'm like changing what I do every day and even not coming into the office as much and not doing daily standups and not committing as much code or any code and um, not doing like day to day build the product stuff, but instead sort of getting my head out of the trenches and, and doing like visionary stuff and bigger picture recruiting and bigger picture planning and stuff like that. But it's been, it's tough to sort of, I've, I've been the funnel. I've been the, like the glue for the whole product team. 
design engineering. Like I'm the guy who knew everything going on. And now I'm, I've had to take very intentional steps to sort of give away that responsibility and ask other people to take on my job there. And it's been fun to watch them rise to the occasion. And, uh, you actually quoted one of your friends, Micah, by saying uh, a company's built on three things. You said vision, team, and traction. So you're mm. providing the vision. You've got the good team. You said you're super stoked about the, the guys you have on your team now, guys and gals, actually. Um, and now you're also gaining traction. Let's talk about traction for just a just a little bit, and we'll round off. But uh, in terms of traction, I know you guys are growing. You'd mentioned ways that uh, Story Envy actually gets paid for. You know, it's a free to start platform, but it's, that doesn't mean that everything you do is completely free, which is something that uh, that I, I wasn't quite aware of of all the different upgrades you have. So, do you ever get asked about revenue? Do you share revenue numbers at all publicly? We don't share it, and the only reason why is because we do like zero work to get people to upgrade. So it wouldn't be fair for us to like measure any elements of the business by that because those features that are paid are actually just there because it's good to have those features at all, free or paid. Like you should be able to use your own domain name. Yeah. Um, like not having that would suck. So <laughs> totally. Um, you know, we're not like trying to make a bunch of money right now. All we're trying to do is like get people to love us and use our product um, as far as traction, the real stuff we care about is like how many number, how many merchants are signing up, how many more did we get this month versus last month? You know, how's the growth month over month? Um, sales through the site, how's that compared to um, last month? And you know, all that's totally headed in the right direction. Everybody's happy. Everybody's put money in is happy. Um, it's delightful, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we have 12,000 stores and every month is bigger than the last. So it's going in the right direction. Do you, do you ever find yourself, and hopefully this isn't offensive, but do you ever find yourself like this is like a gigantic online mall, but it's indie retailers? Is that kind of how you describe it? We never describe it like that because the word mall has a bunch of (laughs) negative connotations, but actually we have written that one down. Uh, at first when we were like, how can we describe this? What should our tagline be? One idea that has sort of stuck around as a joke is store envy. It's like a mall, but cool and online. Oh boy. <laughs> so what did Alan say about that one? Uh, I think, I think he liked it. <laughs> uh, it's it was super dorky though. Right. But uh, it is like a mall. It's, it's actually like probably the first true online mall because it's like a whole bunch of stores all in one place that you can like walk into their individual stores and, um, it's their own actual store and not like the Chrome of some other site, like your site. And, uh, you know, it's custom. Each store is custom, but you're sort of browsing across all these different stores. It is like a mall, but cool and online. I hate to admit it, but it's true. The truth hurts sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you'd said that uh, you know everyone's happy with the metrics, where things are going, the numbers that are coming in. Twelve thousand stores opened up. Uh, you know, more coming at each month. So your community is happy. Your venture capitalists and and your investors are happy. Um, what's the grand plan, I guess, with Store Envy? Where you, you said before that uh, when you first started, you, you didn't have this grand vision, this uh, you know, the universe in mind. You must now. Where are you going? 
Well, we wanted to be we want to be the default answer to the question of where should I set up shop online. You know, there's there's in, in, throughout the like different periods of the internet, there's been a, there's been different answers to the question of where should I where should I set up my blog? And you know, at first right. it was Blogger, and then it you know it's gravitated onto a few things, and then WordPress was like the go to. And now it's it's Tumblr, but even though that's changed several times, there's always been like a default answer that like you didn't have to Google it. But oddly, with stores, you you Google it unless you have handmade stuff. You end up Googling. Yeah, and you probably know this because you ran a web shop back in the day. But you always hear somebody say, "I need a card. Can you build a card for me?" <laughs> yeah, right. Don't you hate that one? But you probably love it because that's your customer right there. Yeah, well, um, I mean, like, no one ever – do people ask you to build a blog? Why is it different? Um, why, is the, why are online stores different than blogs? Like, our mission is to make them the same. Uh, so we want to be the default store platform, which, you know, means hundreds of thousands of stores, presumably. Um, and uh, you know we want to we want it to be free to sign up so that that completely removes sort of the like decision making process of is this the right platform for me? Yeah, it is because it's it, you're going to get in, it's going to be fast, and you're going to have a store really quickly and easily, and you're going to understand it, and you're going to kick ass. So um, yeah, that's what we're aiming for is is being the like best store platform and the one that is the first one people think of. And since uh, I'm going to call you out here, John, since you're not a big listener of, of Founders Talk, you don't know about the next question I'm about to ask you, but it's it's the fun question, I think. It's the one we usually end on, and that's basically asking you, what do you have coming out in the near future? You know, What's on your horizon? No one else might know about it. Maybe a couple know about it, but you haven't made any announcements yet. Um, something that's upcoming that no one knows about that you can maybe share with us here on the show today. 3D stores. <laughs> Seriously? 3D internet stores. Uh, no. Um, the only thing that I can share is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that our users have been demanding that we have never, uh, that we are finally building. Uh, things like currency support. Right now it's all U.S. dollars and, like, bless all the people who have dealt with that. Um you know, people, we have a lot of people overseas using Store Envy, like a lot of, a lot of uh, UK people, Canadian people, German people, and they're all dealing with the fact that it's everything's in US dollars and they can't understand the currency, but they're making it work. So we're working on that. We're working on some just basic pain in the neck stuff with PayPal. I mean, we've got so much stuff. The other stuff, uh, you'll just have to wait and see, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's actually way cooler. But I'm... And it- if they're waiting in the sea, where do they go? Can they sign up for a newsletter? Let's say they're not ready to get started right now. They're maybe they're just a buyer. Their um, their their goal in life is to eventually become an independent retailer of some sort. Mm-hmm. So maybe they can get on some sort of trickle, trickle marketing list of yours. But how do they begin to interact with you guys, the the team behind Store Envy? Well, first of all, we're incredibly responsive on Twitter and Facebook. So if you post there, you're immediately on our radar. We will talk to you. We will give you an internet hug. Ooh. Um, 
Furthermore, if you're interested in the store platform, just open a store. Just sign up for it, open a store. Even if you don't launch it, even if nothing happens, you'll be on our radar and get all of our updates for the store platform. So that's the best way. That's the best way. Well, John, it was it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I know that uh, I could probably talk you off a lot more, but you've got uh, you got an empire to build, I my an friend. Empire so. To build. So, uh, but it's been a blast chatting with you. Thank you so much. And tell Janessa hello. It's been a while, but it's been a blast having you on the show, man. And, and thanks so much for joining hey, me today. Hey, thank you, man. Been good to be here. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Founders Talk. And thank you also to our sponsor, LessAccounting.com. Use the coupon code FOUNDERSTALK4 for 50% off your first month billing. You can check them out at LessAccounting.com. I'll see you next time.